Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. This morning we'll be reading from Ephesians, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and, and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And as you can see, or maybe, maybe you can see, maybe you can't, that the order of our service today is a little different than it normally would be, and that is being done intentionally. You might have noticed as Ron was reading the text for us just now that the words of Scripture that we are focusing on today are a prayer, a prayer from Paul as he concludes this first half of the letter of the Ephesians as he describes to them what he is asking for God to give them. And maybe it's just me, but it can often seem like preaching on prayer is a little bit counterproductive. It's well and good that we would talk about prayer and think about prayer and understand why it's important. But at the end of the day, it makes no sense to just talk about prayer. Just like how if you are hungry, it makes no sense for me to just talk about food. I don't know if anyone else can smell the kitchen right now for the fellowship dinner happening later, but it would make no sense for us to just sit in here and smell the food all afternoon. At some point, you would actually want to eat, I would assume, if you're anything like me. And in the same way, we could read this passage Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and I could explain what each word meant in its original context, how it fits within the rest of this letter, and all that it means, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but at the end of the day, I think just describing what Paul prays about is stopping too soon. We could describe prayer as much as we want, but sooner or later, we should actually pray. And so for that reason, you might have noticed we've swapped today where our prayer time would normally be in our service and where the sermon would normally be so that we can spend the time we would normally spend uh, talking about prayer and, and why it's important and what Paul is asking for in this passage so that then we can respond to what Paul says in God's word by praying ourselves. Uh, so the service looks a little different today, but... Um, if you'll hang with me, we're going to walk through this text together that Ron has just read for us and then have some time to actually respond to it uh, by praying here in a few moments to prepare ourselves to then come to the table for communion. And you may have noticed that this passage begins with that same phrase that the passage we looked at last week be began with, that phrase, for this reason. Paul's still developing the same thoughts that he was talking about all the way back in chapter 2. He's described the power of the grace of God that, that God brings us in 
to life with him and that it unites us together with the rest of God's people. And because that's true, he went on in the passage we looked at last week that Rick walked us through to show us how all of this is the culmination of this great mystery, this secret that has now been made known in Jesus that all people, Jew and Gentile, can be brought into God's people. God has made himself known in Jesus. And that's made it possible for us to draw near to him because of his grace. And that message turns the world upside down. It's a message that says enemies can unite together as brothers and sisters. It's a message that says to a world filled with violence that the solution comes through love and service. It is a message that can take someone like Paul, someone who spent a good portion of his life devoted to stopping anyone who was proclaiming the message of Jesus and turn him around into the kind of person who is willing to be arrested for the sake of preaching the message of Jesus, who is sitting in prison as he writes this letter because of his proclamation of who Jesus is. It's a message that can take imperfect people, people like you and me, and it can make us whole. It can reunite us with our Creator and our Savior because Jesus has died and risen from the dead for us. It is a message that gives birth to the people of God, to the church, that declares in our gathering together the power of God, showing a broken world how it was supposed to function. That is the message Paul proclaims, and that is the reason while he's in prison as he writes this letter. And now he prays that the Ephesians would experience all of this as well. He, he's described how much he has enjoyed the meal, but he wants the Ephesians to taste it for themselves. Or maybe to use a different example, I have a, a book in my office that is a guide to all of the 14ers of Colorado, all the mountains in the state of Colorado whose peak is above 14,000 feet of elevation and I could go get that book if I wanted and I could turn to the page that begins the chapter about Mount Elbert which is the tallest mountain in the state of Colorado and I could read it to you about all the different trails you can take to get to the peak I can talk to you all about where you should park and how you should get there and how long the hike is and everything that goes into that I could read it to you as much as I wanted but if I wanted to give you a little more personal taste of it, I could show you this picture from when I hiked to the peak myself in the summer of 2014, if I remember right. I was in better shape at that point in my life and more willing to do things like this. And I could show you this picture and tell you about that day and all that went into it and how, it, how, it, uh, how the hike went and the people we encountered along the way and everything that went into it. I could tell you all kinds of stories, but if I really wanted to give you the most personal experience that I could imagine, I couldn't do anything better than just taking you to the peak yourself. Now, I'm not volunteering to do that today because I'm not ready for it, but, but that would, in theory, be the most personal experience that we could imagine. And as Paul prays in these verses that we've heard read this morning, I think he's doing something similar. He, he wants to move the Ephesians from hearing what he thinks about the view, his own experience of the view, to giving them the opportunity to experience it for themselves. And specifically, Paul wants them, he wants us, to experience God in all his fullness. And he says that God actually desires to give us that fullness. That's what we need. No matter what we might say we, or think that we want or need in this life, what we actually need more than anything else is to be filled with the fullness of God. It's a fullness that fills our emptiness. It fills the emptiness of despair with God's joy. 
It fills the emptiness of anxiety with the peace that passes understanding. It fills the emptiness of disease with healing. God desires to fill the emptiness of whatever, we, whatever hurt we might feel with his hope. Whatever emptiness it is that you might be experiencing this morning, God desires to fill you up. And that is the ultimate solution to whatever brokenness we find in ourselves or in our world. Paul begins in verses 14 and 15 by saying that this fullness is available because God rules over all things. God the Father is the source of life for all humanity. No matter our background, our ethnicity, our life experience, what side of the tracks we grew up on, all of humanity has the fact in common that they can trace their existence back to God and God alone. He is the one who made us. He is the one who sustains every breath we take. He is the one who rules over all things. And that is why Paul can claim, as he's been doing over these last few chapters, that all people can become God's people through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, God had chosen Israel to be his people, but that was not because they were the best and the brightest. It was because of his grace that he worked through them to bring all humanity into God's people through Jesus. God created all things and he rules all things. And that authority is demonstrated through the fact that God names, if you notice in these verses. The people who give names to things are the people that have authority over them. If you start a business, you are the one with the authority to name that business, whatever it is that you think it should be named. If you write a song, you are the person who gets to say what that song is called. If you have a child, part of your role and of the authority you have as a parent is giving them a name. And because God is the God of all, he has given humanity its name. And while that path might not always be direct, we can each trace our origins back to him. That is who our God is. He rules all things. He's the one true God. Everything comes from him. That is why it's possible to say that all people can be a part of God's people. And because God has that authority, Paul bows his knees before him. And we might hear that just think that it's a posture of prayer. And yes, that is what it is, but it is not just that. It's not the only posture of prayer available or anything like that. Actually, in Paul's day, most of the time when people would pray, they would pray standing with their arms raised looking up into the sky. So Paul's not saying that this is the only way you can pray here. But the, the specific posture of prayer he's describing, of bowing his knee before the Father, is a demonstration, an act of submission of bowing his knee before the one true God who rules and created all things and demonstrating his own submission to God's authority. And if God truly is who Paul has just said that he is, if every family in heaven and earth derives its name from God alone, God alone, then this is the only proper response to bow our knee before him and acknowledge that he is the one true authority over all things, which is a good thing that we don't always get in our world. There's an old preacher story about a DEA agent who showed up at a ranch in Texas and he found the rancher and said he had to do an inspection to make sure there wasn't anything illegal being grown on this ranch and the rancher said, well, that's fine, but whatever you do, don't go into that field over there. And the DEA agent loses it on this rancher and he pulls out his badge. He says, do you see this badge? This means that I'm a U.S. Marshal. I have the, the, the authority of the federal government behind me. That means I can say and do whatever I want on your property, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Do you understand? The rancher says, okay, okay, that's fine. He goes back to doing his chores. A few minutes later, the rancher hears screaming and yelling. 
and he goes and looks, and sure enough, the DEA agent is in the field that he told him to stay out of, and a bull is chasing him. And he's running across the field, trying to get away as fast as he can. The bull is gaining on him, so the rancher drops what he's doing. He runs over to the fence. He climbs up on the edge, and he yells at him, Hey, don't forget, show him your badge. I don't know if that's actually true or not, but it's a good preacher's story. Not all authority is created equal, but the authority of God is different. No power we have will ever match him. No other message but his will ever fill us. He is the only one who is worthy at all times and all places. He's the only one worthy for us to bow our knee before. And yet, although God has that authority, he rules and reigns over all things, he uses that authority for the sake of others. Someone using their authority for themselves is, and themselves alone is not a good thing. But God uses his authority for the sake of strengthening us through his power. God does not use his limitless power for himself, but for us. He gives us his power out of the abundance of his glorious riches that are inexhaustible. You and I don't have a concept for what that means. I can't give you, I can't put $100 in your checking account without taking $100 out of my checking account. I can't make you richer without depleting my own riches in some way, if that makes sense. That is not the case with what Paul describes about who God is in these verses. His glorious riches are inexhaustible as he gives to us freely strengthening us by his might so that we might have the life he desires for us. And all of that comes about through Christ dwelling in us by faith. It doesn't come through a self-improvement plan. It doesn't come through God sending us a list of instructions we have to follow if we want to stay on his good side. This life that is by grace through faith is realized when we trust in God and his presence dwells in us. God takes up residence in us. This is not the language of of living or renting in one place for a season until you can move somewhere bigger and better is the language of dwelling. It's not the language of, well, I'm, I'm in this dorm room until I can graduate and then I'm going to actually move where I want to live and have life on my own terms or something like this. No, this is the language of putting down roots. That's the language Paul uses to describe the presence of God in us. And this presence comes through faith, through our trust in who God is and the grace that he's shown us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to do, that we're just to sit back and enjoy all the good things that God gives us, but it begins with God moving towards us in Jesus and giving us this life he desires for us. God desires that we would know his power through his presence dwelling in our hearts. And when Paul says that Christ dwells in our hearts, he means something similar to, I think, what we mean when we use that phrase, but it's slightly different, and so I think it's worth clarifying just a little bit because in our world the heart is like the the center of our emotions it's where we feel everything most strongly and in the ancient world heart was thought of as the center of your entire being and I don't think that's totally different from what we mean when we say that we feel something in our heart or something like that but I think it's worth pointing out because it gives us a better sense of what Paul is getting at when he says that he wants the Ephesians to experience Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith he wants them, he wants us to experience Christ at the very center of our entire existence. It's not feeling feelings when we sing about the love of God, although that might be a result of Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. And that's a good thing if that helps us experience the presence of God. But it's a statement that above all else, the thing that is most central to who we are is the presence of Christ. 
We might describe who we are by talking about our family or our work or our hobbies or, or whatever else it might be, and there's nothing wrong with that. But before all else, the thing that is most true, most important, most central to who we are if we are a follower of Jesus is that the presence of God dwells within us. That is what Paul wants us to know and experience as we are filled with the presence of God. And as we're filled with that power, Paul describes at the end of verse 17 that we will be rooted and established in love. Just like how God does not use his power for his own sake, but for ours, he gives us his power so that we might be people who live by the same sort of sacrificial love that he has shown us. As Paul says in, over in 1 Corinthians 13, no matter what else might be true of the people of God, if we don't have love, none of it matters. We might want the power of God to do all sorts of things in our lives, but if it does not come from a place of love, if it does not cause others and ourselves to love God and love others more deeply, we have probably missed God's calling. The love of God is at the center of who we are and everything we do. The love of God is the center of this passage. It's the foundation. It's our motivation as God's people. Love is where we are rooted and established. It's the soil we're planted in. It's the foundation upon which we are built. And understanding and experiencing the love God has for us is the thing that calls us forward into life with our God. But if you notice, it's at this point that it would seem like Paul's logic or language or maybe both begins to break down just a little bit. Because he says at the end of verse 17 that he, would, that he prays that the Ephesians would be rooted and established in love. And then he continues into verse 18 to pray that they would have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul prays that they would be established in the love of God so that they can grasp the love of God. And that would seem like circular logic, or at least it does to me. It would seem like we're caught in a loop, that you have something, but you also need that thing so that you can experience this thing more and more. And it would seem like it's just breaking down at some point because you normally don't want what you already have. But it seems like Paul is trying to give us a glimpse into how immense this love of God truly is. It is something we experience now. And yet we also do not understand it fully. It's like a pool of water that is shallow enough for kids to splash in and also deep enough that an elephant would drown in it. The love of God is something simple enough that we can receive at any point, and yet it's also rich enough that we will never fully get to the bottom of it. This love is the centerpiece of this prayer because it is bigger, richer, and deeper than we could ever hope to understand. And so Paul calls us to experience the love of God recognize how much there is to know and dig deeper to experience it more and start that cycle over again. It is a progression that also acknowledges that we'll never fully arrive. And that's how Paul can say in verse 19 that he wants them to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That seems like odd language, at least it does to me. It doesn't seem all that encouraging. It would sound like you show up to class on the first day and the teacher says, well, you know, by the end of this class, I hope you understand what we're talking about, but at the same time, I need you to know it's completely impossible to understand. And that doesn't seem like a great pep talk or something like that. As Paul said, I want you to know this love that also surpasses knowledge. A part of me wonders if the Apostle Paul needed a better editor to help him communicate his thoughts a little more clearly. But at the same time, 
for whatever else these statements about the love of God mean, it at least means that this love we are talking about is not like anything else we will ever encounter. It's not love based on our performance. It's a love that's initiated, sustained, and experienced by the grace of God. It is not a love that can be summed up or worked out with an equation or a PowerPoint presentation. It is a love that can only be experienced and one that we will never fully get to the bottom of. But that is not because of failure on our part. It is because of the immensity of our infinite God. Trying to sum up all that he is and how deep his love is for us is like trying to fit the oceans into your coffee cup. There's too much for us to grasp. And because that is the case, coming to terms with how immense God is should bring us joy, not despair. I understand the saying, we need a greater experience of the love of God, and yet also saying we're never fully going to get to the end of it might lead us to wonder whether or not we've ever experienced it. I think, geez, I, I thought I understood things, but now I'm not so sure. Am I ever going to reach the point where I actually understand the love of God? And if you're feeling that tension right now, that's not the point of Paul's words here, and that's not my point either. The point is for us to desire what we already have, what has already been made available to us more and more. If you've ever had a great meal and have immediately wondered as soon as you finished it, I wonder when I can have that again. I think that's a little bit like what Paul is getting at here. Paul's not describing a finish line we're all supposed to reach and making us feel bad if we're not there yet. He's describing what is available to us right here and right now, and he's inviting us to come and be a part of it. If you've never known the love of God, hear me when I say that it is wider and longer and higher and deeper than you could ever imagine. It's greater than our faults. It heals the wounds that we've inflicted on ourselves and those that others have inflicted upon us. It meets us in our brokenness. It calls us forward into wholeness with our God. And if you have not experienced that before, I hope you will because it is what you are looking for, whether you understand it at this point or not. And if you already know that love, there is plenty here for you as well because you have not gotten to the bottom of it yet there will there's not some end point we eventually get to we are continually called into a deeper experience of the love of God and I hope you never get content with just knowing it where you are right now and saying this level's good enough I can maintain the status quo from here on out and things will be fine because the love of God is greater than you could ever hope to understand so I hope and pray that each and every one of us would wake up every day desiring to step more deeply into this transforming love of God because it is a love that fills our emptiness and makes us new. And it is not something we're left to figure out on our own. This is something God desires to give us. Paul emphasizes that in the second half of verse 19. The end result of all of this is that we would be filled by all the fullness of God. He doesn't pray that we would fill ourselves with God's fullness. He prays that God would fill us with himself, that he would fill us with what he's already promised to give us. Paul's not lining out a path of spiritual enlightenment and saying, here's what's available if you try really hard. He is saying, you need to be filled by God, and God wants to fill you, and therefore step into it so that he can. God's inviting us to be a part of this grand plan he has worked out that will bring healing to all humanity and the entire world, beginning with the death and resurrection of his son Jesus and, and God's people being unified around that message. And he desires to sustain and guide us every step of the way as we walk with him along that path. 
And that might sound ambiguous and strange because we live in a world that likes explanations and charts and numbers and five-year plans and things like that, and there's nothing wrong with those in themselves. But that is not what God is kidding at here. We can read a passage like this and think, okay, so is it up to me? Is it up to God? Is there a division of labor here? Am I in charge? What bits am I in charge of? What bits will God take care of? And that seems to be a tension Paul is more content to live in than we are. And it's one that perhaps we are called to be a little more okay with. Now hear me, I'm not suggesting that following Jesus doesn't involve our minds at all. It absolutely does. But above all else, it involves walking with our God. Even when we don't have all the answers. Trusting that he will guide us and lead us into the life he desires for us as he fills us with all his fullness. And because he does that, we praise him. As overwhelming and confusing as all these things Paul has said in these verses are, or at least they are for me, God is able to do it all. In fact, Paul says in verse 20, he is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or hope or imagine. If we don't understand all that Paul is saying here, that might mean that we need to reflect more deeply on his words, but at some point it no longer is about understanding words and just responding in faith to the love and the grace that's been extended to us. I don't fully understand all that it means. I'll be honest. To say that the God of the universe is working to right all the wrongs in our world through his people because of his infinite love, that seems overwhelming uh, to make as a statement. It seems like a lot to, to say about this group of people gathered together right now. I mean, I look around this room. I know my own imperfections. I know some of yours, not all of them, but we, if you want to share more later, you can. Um, so to say that God desires to work through us, to show us his love that we'll never fully understand, to say that as that happens, this message that makes the entire world right is worked out in and among us, it seems like an overstatement at minimum. And yet that's what Paul prays. And that doesn't mean that he's laying out a blueprint for us for how we can make a big difference in the world if we try really hard, so we need to go out there and impress God. But it means that God has more love and grace for us and our world than we could ever imagine. And he invites us to draw near to him and experience a glimpse of the fullness of that love. And that as we do that, as we walk with him, he is glorified in and through us. When God's people respond by living in light of the love God has shown us, God does incredible things. There's more that we could say about these verses, but I think we could at least say that. The fullness of God, all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, desire to fill us with God's love as we participate in his plan to transform the world through the gospel. Paul bows his knee before the Father, praying that the power of his spirit might strengthen God's people so that the love of Christ might dwell within us, so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, so that God may be glorified in the church. And the more I reflect on the truths of this passage, the more inadequate I feel to articulate them fully. And that might just be the point. We don't get to the bottom of this. We simply respond to the immense love of God in faith and trust that he will meet us in that to accomplish his purposes. And because that's what this passage says, like I said at the beginning of the sermon, we are going to respond to this prayer with prayers of our own. So here in a few moments, I'm going to wrap things up, the sermon at least, and I will pray for us. And after that, we're going to have a few moments, we're going to have some music playing, and there's going to be some prayer prompts up on the screen to help guide us as we pray.
Because three times in this passage, Paul prays for something in particular. And so we have three prompts that are based on those things that Paul prays for in this passage and asking God that he would do them for us. First off, he prays in verse 16 that God may strengthen us through the power of his spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And so we want to pray that God would strengthen us through his presence. In verse 18, Paul prays that the Ephesians might be able to grasp alongside the rest of God's people how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And so we want to pray that God would bind us to one another in love so that we might together comprehend the love that he has for us. And then in verse 19, Paul prays that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we want to pray that God might fill us with his fullness so that he would be glorified through us. Those are going to remain up on the screen for the next few moments, and I would invite you, as the music plays, to allow them to inform your prayers before God. And I don't know what that will look like for you. You can pray where you are just by yourself. If you don't know how to pray or feel uncomfortable praying by yourself, grab someone around you and pray with them. You can pray right where you are. You can pray with your eyes open, your eyes closed. I don't know, as long as you're praying. Maybe you want to do what Paul says in these verses and take the same posture that he does and bow your knees before the Father. Not because there's anything magical about that particular posture, but just as a statement to say, you're the one true God. You're the one that I worship. You're the one who's in charge of everything, so I'm bowing my knee before you because you're my king. I don't know what it is that you want to spend the next few moments praying about, but I would encourage you to come into the presence of God and submit before him and pray for these things for yourself and for us as a church so that we might know this love that God has for us, that we may be transformed by it, by this love that is deeper than we could ever imagine. So after a few minutes of doing that, I will get back up and close us out with prayer just so you know what's happening, and then we will move into our time of communion. And I understand that doing something like this is a little bit out of our comfort zone. It's a little bit out of my comfort zone, because the sermon wasn't in the service where it normally is. But I'm not done stepping on your toes just yet, if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> because we would be doing a disservice to this text if we just ended our response to it by saying, well, we prayed in church after the sermon was over, so I guess we're good. Because the call of this text is not just for us to pray, but for us to pray that God might give us what he wants to give us and then be transformed as he does so. And I don't know what that might look like for you. Maybe being strengthened by the presence of God means that during a difficult season right now, you just need to know that God has not forgotten about you and that he's able to redeem your suffering for his glory. Maybe praying that God would give us a glimpse of the immensity of his love along with the rest of God's people might lead you to investing more deeply in the people right around you each and every day so that you might seek Jesus alongside them. Maybe praying that we would be filled with all the fullness of God could lead to a deeper experience of God's presence than you've ever had before. Maybe it means encountering God as he truly is as opposed to remaining on the fringes of a relationship with him, watching other people relate to him, but keeping him at arm's length. Maybe it will mean letting go of excuses and taking hold of God as he actually is instead of how we would want him to be. Maybe it will mean 
actually following him as he calls us to follow him instead of wanting to have have it our way and his way at the same time. Maybe it looks like encountering God instead of encountering the things we do for God. I know probably as well as anyone in this room, if not better, that we can get so caught up in doing good things for God that we miss encountering God himself. Whatever it is for you, I have been praying this week. I continue to pray for you, for myself, for us, that we would draw near to God so that we would be transformed by him. We might not be able to fully capture all Paul is saying in these verses, but we can ask God to give us his fullness because he has already said he wants to give it to us. And that is more than enough. So let me pray for us and then we'll have some time to ask God to do that for us now. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are gracious and generous towards us that you call us to life with you, and at the same time you invite us into it, you give us everything that we need for that life. God, forgive us when we try to do things our own way, when we try to figure it out on our own. Forgive us for when we don't acknowledge you as the God of all things that you truly are. God, we thank you for the love you have for us, the grace you've shown us in your Son, the love you have that we can know, and yet at the same time acknowledge we will never know fully. God, you are infinite and perfect in every way, glorious, and reign for all time. So God, give us faith, give us hope, give us trust in who you are so that we might walk with you, that you might work through us, give us to give us a glimpse of who you are and the life you desire for us so that we might walk with you each and every day as individuals and as your people so that you may be glorified through us. God, be with us during this time. Peel away our distractions. Help us to focus on you and you alone and what you, the fullness that you desire to give us. We ask all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.